0: Well, good evening. Okay, hey, just check Good evening. All right, All right just checking. My name's Jack. I'm the lead pastor at our uh, Bethany's community that worships over at Nathan Hill High School on Sunday mornings, um, formerly known as Pastor X. Some of you were around back then, a couple of years ago. I'm also in a new role, uh, more recently here at Bethany. It's in addition to my role at Bethany Northeast. I've taking on, and and Jillian Levitz, if some of you knew her, uh, her transition away, taking on the role as the mission pastor for Bethany. And so I've been, just begun that work alongside a couple of other great staff members and just kind of leading us out in uh, where God's taking us in global and local partnerships. So if that's something that interests you, either if you are a UW student or live in Northeast Seattle or really excited about missions, come talk to me sometime. I'd love to get to know you and check out what we're doing, okay? Sound good? Today we're uh, we're continuing. We're in the second week of a series called Constant. Uh, You hopefully received one of these as you came in if you weren't here last uh, Sunday uh, or you got one last week, but uh, the subtitle of this series is The Heartbeat of Hope Within Scripture. Yeah, you can kind of see that. The reason I wanted that up there is this, let me just give you a little bit of an overlay of where we're going. We're going to be in this series throughout the fall, and this line that's kind of behind that graphic is... And I'm, I'm sure there's a few medical students or doctors or nurses here. It's meant to look like an echocardiogram, but I know it's not. So we just put that out there. It's a visual. So, And the point of this is that the story of Scripture, we're looking at the meta narrative of Scripture. And so we're reading the, the whole Bible together for this fall, but we're not going to do it in a linear way. We're going to do it in a, a narrative way. And so the narrative of Scripture starts on the left side here. would be, yeah, the left side kind of a rhythmic narrative, and this is where God creates the heavens and the earth, and there's an intention around the way things were created to be. And then right where it begins to drop is where we would describe in our, in our sermon outlines over the next weeks a point of disruption. You'll see this throughout this series. At some point in the story of God, something causes the story to begin to fall. We call this sin. We call it whatever it is, right? Interestingly, though, at the bottom of the narrative, right here at the very, you can see, is the moment of hope. And very often in the story of God, this is, this is the cross of Christ, the person and work of Jesus we see as the person and work of hope that causes, it's actually the, the climax of the story of God, causes that heart to come out of whatever, I don't even, I didn't take medical school, so what is that called? Defibrillation, or I don't even know, like it's going to, you're going to die, so I'm not even going to go there, but Jesus brings us out. And interestingly, the top, very tip top, uh, where it kind of, you can't quite see it, but there's a, it kind of crests, this is the point of culmination. Where we think, we believe, as we read the story of God, the end of the story, the the place that God takes us ultimately is better than the place that he began. And so the the point of culmination is actually better than the beginning of the story. We're going to see that throughout this, this series. Last week, Richard took us through the theme of, so we're looking at different plot lines, you might say. Last week, Richard took us through the theme of glory. Next week, we're going to look at the theme of humanity. And this book, this little booklet that hopefully you received, will help you follow along throughout the series either as a study guide or in your family or your small groups. So this week we're looking at the theme of the cosmos, uh, or creation, care, stewardship. One of the reasons for that, not only is it a a major theme throughout the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, it's one of those things at Bethany, if you've been around for any length of time, if you know Richard and many of us who have gathered around his teaching, that it's very important to our church that we consider our role within the world as stewards of creation. Okay? So you with me? We're going to be looking at that. We're going to follow. That's the outline, essentially. And kind of the, the question I want you to really consider, it's a basic question, is what's our place within the cosmos? The earth, the heavens, the earth, this place that we live, Seattle, your neighborhood. What's your place in there? Okay? Now, let me set, up, let me set everything up. That's just a brief intro, but with a question that'll start this sermon. But uh, how many of you, and I'm actually asking for a show of hands, have seen or know the movie The Matrix? Okay. I don't want to assume anything because I'm part of Gen X. I was reminded this week that I'm, I'm not a millennial. And so I'm over 35. And I guess I watched it in college. So that dates me a little bit. <clears throat> but uh, it was a good movie. Not the best movie ever. I guarantee there's lots of better movies. But there's, and there's a lot of plot lines in the movie. One of the things about the movie that I really appreciate and that I think relates to this theme is that we're part of something much bigger than the, than the story that we're living right now, right? Neo is trying to get shocked kind of out of this life he's living, right? And 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 Morpheus is trying to get him to realize that there's something bigger than just the life he's living, bigger than the seven or eight hours of sleep he gets, or for you, bigger than the major you declare, or uh, if there's a fine young woman or man sitting next to you, bigger than that, that relationship or that potential relationship, or the number of likes or followers or tweets or anything you get in social media or your network, bigger than... Anything you can imagine, bigger than your job, bigger than even this moment, there's something much bigger. Now, uh, we, 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 you know, let I, 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 me ask you another question just before I consider what I want to tell you. When did you realize that you were part of something bigger than what you're living right now? Just think of it for a moment, kind of put yourself there. Could have been maybe at the birth of your first child. We had our daughter, Maren, back in 2005, and... Uh, that was a big moment for my wife Elizabeth and myself. Uh, could have been, you know, as you're looking over the North Rim of the Grand Canyon, or for me sometimes when I'm up on the top of Mount Baker, kind of looking out over the Cascades. If you've been up there, it's a pretty profound place. It could have been the first time you saw the Perseid meteor shower. How many of you have tried to go out and see that in August? Yeah, it doesn't happen in Seattle because there's so many clouds. But could have been any number of, of pretty epic moments. Mine I want to share with you actually is may seem a little strange. Uh, it was in 1999. I just graduated from the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, and I went down to uh, Kenya to live for a year as a young adult. A young adult. I was just out of college, and went for a year of service learning and mission in Mathari Valley in Nairobi, Kenya. Mathari Valley is one of the, the big slums in Nairobi, one of the largest in Africa, and it's an old rock quarry. So when the British colonized Kenya, they dug this out. They used the rock for roads and buildings and things, right? And so they left this rock quarry, it became a slum over the years after the British left. And there's this river that runs right through the middle of that valley called the Nairobi River, which is the most polluted river in all of Africa, they say. And the reason for that, if you know anything about rock quarries, is there's n- there's just scorched bare earth, right? It's just bare. And when it rains, all that water runs downhill into the river. Here's the problem, though, in Mathari and many of the slums around the world. There's no garbage collection. There's no sanitation. Just raw sewage everywhere. And so you can imagine what's running downhill. So I'm working in this place. And uh, this one day I'm thinking of that really changed my life and connected me to this idea that there's something much bigger that I'm living for and living within. I was walking back from work. I'm a social worker by training. So I was walking home to my where I lived and I crossed this bridge every time I'd walk home. And I crossed this bridge dozens of times, but I was on this bridge this particular day, and I was just stopped in my tracks. Because as I looked out over the river, it's late in the afternoon, I saw this scene, and I saw a number of women, if you've been to developing countries, uh, doing their laundry in this river, being choked by pollution, right? And with them were a lot of their children playing in the river. You can imagine. Downstream from them, uh, in fact, I know, yeah, welcome to Bethany, I'm glad you're here tonight. Well, downstream from them were these men, primarily men, I didn't know what they were doing at the time, but they had these big barrels, big 50-gallon drums, and there was something spewing out of the top, and I went and found out that what they were doing is they were distilling this thing called Chang'a. It's like a moonshine in East Africa that's made with a mixture of um, formaldehyde that's bought on the black market and other things. That's illegal because it obviously causes lots of medical problems like blindness and eventually death. So that's what's happening in this river. That might tell you this because... What it taught me, and alongside many other experiences traveling the world since, not just those beautiful ones that you probably picture, but some of the harder ones as well, is that though we're made to enjoy and care for the cosmos, the creation, the world in which we live, the reality of our lives, and just check yourself for a moment here, the reality of our lives, if you're living, is that we fall short and we continue to fall short of that calling almost every day, don't we? Uh, There's so much brokenness in our natural world, in our in our society. That it's, it's only a reflection of the brokenness of our lives, but of our in, not only that, but an incapacity to just care for the world around us as well, not to, to be not, not to be good stewards. And as a result, you have communities like Mathari Valley in Kenya, or others that maybe you've visited. So we just, tonight, we need a fresh vision, don't we, for how to care for the world, how to, and a hope for that vision that will future fuel that vision, don't we? So a vision and a hope, that's what we're going to look at tonight. And by the way, in case you're wondering, this is not a, going to be a sermon about uh, creation-evolution debate, okay? I'm not going to even go there, just so you know. We're going to be in Genesis 1 and 2 primarily. But, uh, and that's a good debate, but that's an, and that's another sermon, Sunday school, whatever. I don't actually believe that Genesis is really about that debate. Genesis, if you read it, and the Bible in, in general, is the, tr- the truth about the creation story. Hear this tonight. Is, is there's a bigger and more profound uh, story being told to us than the mere mechanics of creation, whether it was seven days, 70,000 years. It doesn't really matter that much. Uh, Genesis, the Bible as a whole, when it talks about creation, listen to this, talks about it in terms of the meaning of creation, not the mechanics of it, okay? And we need to know the meaning if we're going to be people that are faithfully following God, okay? So that's what I want to press into with tonight and look at our rightful place in creation, okay? So first, if you have that outline in your bulletin or you can use this booklet to take notes in, we're going to start with Genesis 1, creation, how God intended things to be, Okay? And, there's an, and you can be open in your Bible, either your phone, if you have an app, or just there's a Bible, I think, in front of you uh, in the pew. And this is Genesis 1 and 2 we're going to look at, and many of us know this story, so I won't, I won't read it to you. It's a long one. And there's a number of themes that run through it, uh, major themes. I just want to examine two with you this evening, okay? Two brief ones. And they're, they're both with a related calling for us as people, okay? So two themes with related callings. So, and so the first thing, and you've heard this, I'm sure, is the infinite goodness of creation, Okay? It's infinitely good, creation is. You need to know that. So over and over again in Genesis, Genesis 1, what happens? God creates whatever it is, heavens, skies, earth, people. And what does he say about that? Every time. It's, it's good. By the way, that's the word we get benediction from. At the end of the service, I'll declare a benediction over you. That's just a Latin word for goodness, Okay? That's what God is doing over creation. He's saying it's good. I look at this and it's good. In every respect, there's nothing about it that's bad. Now, do you, do you know how amazing that is? We look at that, we go, that's just the way it is, right? It's good. We love, we're Seattleites. We love the goodness of creation. Uh, but in that day and age, and even for some today, it's, it's an amazing thing to think about. Arch, Archbishop William Temple, uh, he once observed that Eastern religions, for example, in the ancient Near Eastern religions, in which... Judaism, which was the source religion for this religion that we're part of, Christianity, say that the world is unreal. It's not a real thing. It's just a figment of our imagination, the physical world, this, this music stand, all this stuff around me, unreal. It's an illusion. And someday, poof, it's going to fade away in a great fire, okay? That's Eastern, Near Eastern religions. Western religions, on the other hand, which kind of become the source religions for Christianity from Europe, Okay? Western Christianity, Greeks and Romans, they said the world, it's, it's, it's here physically, but it's bad. The world is bad. Uh, the body is bad. The material world is bad. Only the spirit is good. And so the church, you can see why we've denigrated the body. We've denigrated sex. We've denigrated everything physical. And we said only spiritual things are good. Okay? Only the Bible, though, not Western or Eastern philosophy or even Christianity at levels. The Bible, as you read it, has such a high, high view of the goodness of material creation, as you read it. Uh, So much so that we're told that God is going to resurrect our physical bodies and do what? Create a new heavens and a new earth. Isn't that amazing? It's it's a totally different story than all the stories being told at this time and and since. And why is that? Let me ask you. Why do you think that God is so passionate, I'd say even even fixated upon, uh, maintaining this integrity between spirit and matter forever? It has they have to be one, and God is fixated upon maintaining that integrity uh, It's this calling that's related to this goodness, okay and the calling that I want to put in front of you around the goodness of creation is this calling toward playfulness playfulness i'm I'm yes, some of you are going, what play what's that about uh, We're in church. can you explain that And you're right, we are in church so The Bible, as you read it, it's filled, not just here in Genesis, but like throughout the, if you read Genesis to Revelation, all the way through these prophecies and revelation and and testimony of God declaring over and over and over again that creation is good. Okay, it's not just Genesis 1. But then in response to recognition of the goodness of creation, what you're going to see as you read the Bible is that animals and people and creatures, they are at play in response to that revelation of the goodness of creation. So in Psalm 104 that we just read from, this, it's a long one. Later in the psalm, which we didn't read, one of my favorite parts of the psalm, this is what it says, Psalm 104, verse 24. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So we kind of read about that. There's the sea. It's vast. It's spacious. It's teeming with creatures beyond number, living things large and small. And then there are ships that go to and fro. And then it goes on, and it says, and the Leviathan, like Nessie, our underwater ally, okay? And which you formed a frolic there. The Leviathan, you formed a frolic in the waters of the ocean. Now, that word frolic is is a really interesting word in the Bible. It's this Hebrew word that's closer related to the word for laughter. So you you picture like Loch Ness Monster laughing in the waters, okay? And it shows up all over the Old Testament. It shows up in the book of Job, Ecclesiastes. It actually shows up in the book of Zechariah. There's this vision that Zechariah catches of where God's taking the world in Zechariah 8, where he sees this vision. This is what the Lord Almighty says, about the kingdom of God, once again, old men and women will walk Jerusalem's streets, these people that have been crippled, without their canes, and they will sit together in the city squares, and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. There's the word frolic. And I love this thought, I guess, that that God made some great sea creature to play in the waters of the oceans, and this intention that God, he has for us to play in the streets of the cities. Uh, I get worried every time my kids go outside and just play in the street. And it's God's intention that we were at play in those streets, unfettered, I'd say, by the anxiety and the weariness that just is wrapping up our lives right now. Whatever that is for you. Not worried about what others are going to think if you're dancing in the streets. Not concerned about the so-called traffic that's going by. This to-do list, the pressures of school or work or family or just whatever it is. But at play. Goodness causes playfulness. Uh, So God would have us play. That's the, that's, the, that's the intention of the goodness of creation. He made us to frolic. <laughs> and, and everything in the Bible tells us this story. Okay? Now, there's a second thing that's really important also. It's kind of a tension inside creation. A, a second thing that we learn in Genesis 1 with a calling that's related to it. And that's the accompanying finiteness of creation. Okay? And the calling inside the finiteness of creation is this calling towards stewardship, which many of us have heard about. But I'm going to unpack it just for a moment. So if you get out, going back to some of these old creation myths, you have to remember that the story of Genesis 1 and 2 is, is cast, a, a vision for creation cast amongst other creation stories in the ancient Near East. There was a multiplicity of stories out there, so this is one of those. Okay? And so you get out any of those old myths, they, have always, they always have multiple deities, multiple gods, multiple centers of power. Okay? Usually there's this, uh, the world on which we're living right now, is, is birthed out of human beings being created out of a battle of some sort between these gods, if you read these stories. and uh, Which is why, virtually, <laughs> all the ancient religions worshipped to the sun or the moon or other aspects of nature, because the sun one or the moon one or the deer one or whatever, okay? You're with me? Multiple power centers, multiple centers of power, multiple deities. That's the key. But here, in the Bible, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, you have this ancient account of creation in which all the elements of nature are created... None of them are divine. You don't have multiple centers of power, you have one. Are you with me? There's one deity, there's one center of power, there's one source of creation. That's very unique with the story of God in the Bible, which is why God alone can be worshiped, okay? Uh, which is why God is alone is as, as great as nature is. It's finite. Do you hear that? Now, so do you know, do you know what this means for us practically? It's, we probably are on board with that idea. We don't worship other gods generally. Um, Well, on the the one hand, going back to ancient religions, a a lot of ancient religions were ascetics. So I kind of talked about this, but they said that the world's not real, so if you want to get spiritual, just do without real stuff. Uh, You know, pleasure's not good for you. It's corrupting. That's called asceticism. That's in response to the the badness of physicality, okay? Other religions at this time were not anti-materialistic, okay? They They were only materialistic, so they they weren't against material nature. They said, this is all we've got, man. This is, this is it. This book and this and this iPad, it's all I've got. So people essentially worshipped physical pleasures. Okay? They, they worship sex, money, and power. Okay? In fact, the, interestingly, modern secular, secularism, which many of us, I was brought up within. I wasn't raised in the church. Many of us are kind of swimming in that world in our workplaces. They would say the same exact thing. Like, carpe diem would be the mantra, you know, that movie with Robin Williams. You have to live for money, live for pleasure, live for sex, live for power, because you're going to die someday, and then it's all gone. Has anybody ever heard that? A couple have, yeah. So authentic Christianity is neither of those. In fact, carpe diem is not, (laughs) I'm just going to put this out there, though I love Dead Poets Society, it's not a Christian doctrine, okay? We're not meant to wake up every day and say, carpe diem, I'm going to suck the marrow out of life, nor is listen to this, nor is asceticism part of a Christian worldview either, where we reject everything physical. Uh, Christianity instead declares the world around us is good. Remember what I said first, so playfulness. And yet, here's the paradox, it's also limited, it's finite. And so get outside and frolic in the world, but here's the key, when you can't, when you can't get outside, you're injured. It's raining outside. Whatever happens, you can live without it, and it's okay. You're not completely destroyed. So, you know, It's going to rain for nine months, friends. I don't know who's new to Seattle. It's going to rain for nine months. And Christianity would respond and say, it's okay. You're not going to die. I was in Rwanda recently with a team. Prentice was part of that team. He'll know this, but I brought a bag of Slate coffee. I'm a bit of a coffee snob. And uh, Slate's up here in Ballard. And I brought my AeroPress. And I forgot to bring a grinder. So I'm in the Amsterdam airport, and I'm freaking out because I need the coffee to survive. And so I bought, guess what I bought? 40-some via, which saved me. And people on the trip would say, well, it was almost not okay for you, Jack. I was nearly destroyed. But guess what? I'm here. (laughs) I lived. Rwanda was great. It's okay. I wasn't destroyed. Uh, If your budget's tight right now, like one of these guys like me, stands up here and says, you know, all these problems in the world and we just want to invite you to give. Be be generous. Or you go to a, a fundraiser for something. I was at the uh, Agros Tierras de Vida uh, gathering on Friday night to raise money for Agros, which is a local nonprofit working in Latin America, and you know they're asking for money, and we have a tight budget, me and my family, but we gave, and guess what? I'm not going to get the new Apple Watch. It's okay. Can't finish the basement remodel. It's okay. Uh, can't take that epic vacation next summer. It's it's okay. Do you hear me? Uh, God is the most important thing. God is enough for us who follow God. We worship a creator, not the creation, okay? This is very important for us, which is why in Genesis 128, this is kind of moving us toward the moment of disruption. Uh, In the first encounter God has with humanity, he gives this command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, okay? You probably know this. The accompanying calling in that command is this calling towards stewardship. Here's what God says. He says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it, Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay. (laughs) Now, there's two words, subdue and rule. Probably two of the most misinterpreted words in the history of Christianity. Uh, And many of the issues we face today, deforestation, extinction of species, you just name it, any of them, are related. They stem from those misinterpretations at a level. Interestingly, the uh, the Hebrew word for rule, I won't look at uh, subdue. We don't have time, but rule, take that one. It's this really broad semantic meaning, okay? Really broad. In fact, the word carries this this sense of wandering around, okay? It's it's a shepherding word. Here's what it literally means. It means to accompany, to pasture, to guide, and to lead. So it's a very different meaning than what we've captured in English. So the meaning of this command, subdue and rule, is really this calling given to humanity to shepherd, to take care of, to walk alongside and accompany and live in partnership with, creation. Now does that change it or what? Uh, I mean the relationship between humanity and the rest of creation is like a partnership not a dictatorship and yet we've lived it out like a dictatorship. We're on top we're alpha, everybody else is beneath us, we get to use and everything else kind of follows our lead in that respect. Uh, Angela Tibley, she's, how many know her? She had a TV series in the 90s there. I definitely aged myself but there's a few people here that are older than me so I'm just a nerd. Okay. She had this series on TV in the 90s called The Soul. And she had this really amazing thing where she says, rather, talking about this idea, rather than seeing the universe as the background for the human adventure, we must learn to see ourselves as part of its adventure. Okay? The whole cosmos is an adventure, and our human journey is part of that adventure uh, rather than being part of ours. Okay? So I love Interstellar. I love these movies. We're not, it's not about us. She goes on, she says, the double effect of this is that we are brought back into the processes of the universe, and yet at the same time humbled by a new recognition of our limitations, and she finishes by saying, we belong, but we are not all that there is. And then she finishes, and she says, we are here, wherever here is, but here was not made just for us, okay? And I love that. We are here, but here was not just made for us. We're meant to be in partnership with every person in this room and then the physical things outside this room and then beyond, you go with that and that's an amazing thought. So here's the rub and this takes us into disruption. Uh, we don't live that way. We have not lived that way. Just be honest for a moment. Uh, creation is something that we, we care for, I'm sure, but we have messed it up. Maybe you haven't messed it up. Our forefathers have messed it up. Maybe you have messed it up and you're feeling deeply guilty. Uh, Flip the page, just one page from Genesis two to Genesis three, and we're inside disruption. And here's the scene. I'm not going to actually read it. Really briefly summarize the story. There's a snake, and there's a tree, and there's a man and a woman, and the man and the woman eat from this tree, and they're caught. They were told not to, and there's blame shifting, and there's a lot of bad things that happen afterwards. So all the Bible scholars are like, great, you really screwed that one up. But that's the basics of Genesis 3. And I want to key in on just a couple words from one verse, okay? So it's Genesis 3.6. So if you're looking at Genesis 3, one verse. It's a really key verse inside the story of the fall, this disruption of the creation story. Here's, here's Genesis 3.6. When, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, good, key in there, benediction, good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some of it and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Just a couple words. It's really, this is important. First thing, she saw that it was good. She checked the first box. I don't know if they played. I don't even know. Don't care as much. Although I do want to emphasize, go out and play. It's really good, okay? She got that down. But notice the shift in the second moment. From recognizing the finiteness of creation, that's limited, she and Adam, the man, They see this tree, which is emblematic, by the way, of the material world, okay? It's emblematic of all creation other than humans. It was desirable for gaining wisdom in what they do. They took. So do you see it? There's this really subtle but really important shift in humanity's role from caretaker to consumer. Right there. And we have lived that story ever since. Consuming and consuming and consuming. We even consume Christianity now. Which is kind of sad, uh, and it's all because of our inability to recognize the finiteness of creation, because of our inability to walk away, so to speak, and say, you know, it's okay. I've got God. I've, it's enough. This tree. It's I'm. I'm everything I have. All my needs are met. It's, I'm good. And what do you end up with in Genesis? Genesis three fifteen, enmity. These are the words. Genesis three sixteen, pain. Genesis three eighteen, thistles and thorns, which are just these emblems of toil and hardship in the human existence. It goes on and on and on and on. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's the patron saint of Bethany Community Church, some of you know that if you've been around, he has this amazing uh, exposition of Genesis 1-3 to called Creation and Fall, and I would recommend it. It's deeply theological. It's very good. And uh, he notes that what's taking place in this moment, Genesis 3-6, here's a quote from him. The center has been intruded upon. Okay, Remember I talked about these... Ancient creation myths, where there's multiple gods, and there's, but in our, our story, not a myth, there's one God, we're not in the center, one thing in the center, and that's God, God alone. So the center has been intruded upon, the boundary transgressed. Humankind stands in the center with no limit. Standing in the middle means living from our own resources, no longer from the center, being resourced by the center. Having no limit means being alone. You replace God, you're now alone. To be in the center and to be alone means to be sicut deus, which is to live out of our own resources, to create our own life, to be one's own creator, and that ultimately ends in death. Because we are created, not creators. And that cannot work. Uh, And to assume that creation exists for our benefit, in the same way we kill it. We bring death into it. Uh, And you see this all over the Bible, you see it all over the world we live in, exploitation. Abuse, degradation, violations of natural rhythms that exist that God created. You see it evidence in phenomena sort of like climate change and not just climate change. Industrial agriculture that 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 yields maximum short-term yield, but is yielding widespread desertification and rapid topsoil loss, right? Uh, you know, we're we're not just taking from the land, but now the oceans. Because we need fish from wherever on our tables and we need strawberries in February. In uh, the introduction, by the way, of new technology, am I depressing you yet? Uh, that's extracting fuels without assuring the safety of the water tables. Like, we are headed down a slippery, slippery slope. It's no wonder that the land Hosea 4 tells us mourns, and that Romans 8 says that the, that the creation is groaning. It's no wonder. Which, by the way, isn't just a metaphor when you read the Bible. The, the groaning and, and mourning Words are lamenting words in the Bible. And so here's what's happening. The land, the earth, the cosmos is hurting, and, but critically, it, in a lament, what you're doing is you're crying out to God. So we have displaced God, but the creation still looks at God. Crying out to God because we, as its stewards, its shepherds, its partners, have abandoned it. We, we've, lost, we've lost it. We've left them. And so we've rejected our calling. And the last question I want to explore with you, under hope and culmination is what do we do? (laughs) Like, I've seriously depressed most of you, I think. Uh, And so the Bible offers hope. And we get that hope, if you just flip to that. I'll I'll tell you in a moment where we get that. Uh, We get that God's the creator, right? Most of us understand. We got that before we came. I didn't need to hammer that in. We also, some of us, get that Christ is the redeemer. As we're thinking of the person of God, and we think of different things, different ways we understand God. We get this idea that Christ is the Redeemer, that his blood shed on a cross somehow provided the means by which we could be back in relationship with God. We don't quite understand all of that, but we get that part of the story, most of us, right? Now, here's the question. Is God also sustainer, your sustainer? Think about it. God is sustainer. It's not this idea that we talk about that often. Redeemer, creator, great. But it's one that's written into the entire story of God, and this is where hope comes forth. Uh, You see it in Psalm 104 again, by the way, which is one reason we chose it, especially in verses 27 to 30. Uh, Let me read those. Let me pull it up. Psalm 104, 27 to 30. All the creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up when you open your hand They're satisfied with good things. See if you hear God sustaining. When you hide your face, they're terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. God is sustaining the world. Uh, Not just there, Psalm 54, Acts 17, Paul actually preaches this sermon, talks about to the the people in the city where he's preaching about God as a sustainer. It's a really interesting uh, sermon. Uh, In fact, one of my favorite places where this theme comes up is in a, in a passage in Colossians. Richard preached on last Sunday. Colossians 1, we've used it quite a bit here at Bethany, so I wanted to key in on it. In Colossians 1.17, where it says of Jesus, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and listen, and in him, all things, not just us, but all things hold together. God is sustaining the world through Jesus. And we love that, our lives hold together in Christ, amen. But, but and what this means is that Jesus didn't just come, if it's all things really, like this ground we're standing on, and our lives, and the cosmos, if all things are being held together by Jesus, then Jesus didn't just come so we get our ticket punched to heaven, get off this planet like interstellar, right? Uh, he came, as we talked about last week, lived the perfect Christian life, none of us have done that imparted his spirit into us that want to follow him that would be audacious enough to do so, and promises to express his life through us, which means at the end of the day, guess what? The pressure's off. Christ is sustaining through each of you the world on which we live. We can relax into our calling as stewards. We can play. It's, it's all good, right? Uh, and And so we can... Go buy the Patagonia Vest because they give 1% and we can drive the Hummer and, like I said, buy strawberries in February. It's all good. No, (laughs) it's not. I'm just making sure you're still with me. Uh, God heard the cry of creation. We're still living within the brokenness of the world. And so we have a step to take. Yes, Christ is sustaining the cosmos, and yet there's more to it. And this is the culmination piece, and we'll finish here. Uh, in the same place where, where God declares through the Apostle Paul in, in Colossians 1, that cr- later in that same passage in Colossians 1, where God um, is sustaining all things through Jesus, holding it all together. Do you know what he says? This is God speaking through Paul. That, that God was pleased to have the fullness, uh, his fullness dwell in Christ and through him reconcile to himself all things. So there's the all things again. But there's a new word, and it's this word reconciliation. And there's a lot in there. We could do a whole, we are going to actually do a lot more reading on this and talking about reconciliation. But that God, I want to key in, God is reconciling all things through Christ. It's one of the big ideas in the Bible. Um, And it's an idea that most of us, I think, and this has been true for me, when we hear about it, we think about it, it relates primarily to relationships, right? Especially with respect to race. And that's a really good way of thinking about it. So I, I want to be careful here, especially in a world like ours this week, you know, Charlotte, Tulsa, where it's been written large for us how broken our relationships are between people of color and white communities and police and, you, you know, I don't need to go on. You're watching the news. So the, the Bible, that's, that's all true. That's part of what reconciliation is. The Bible's way of understanding reconciliation, though, extends beyond that and you need to know this. It includes the reconciliation of the races, okay? It even emphasizes that. I don't want to say that it doesn't matter. It's really important. But it's the reconciliation of all things, which is relationships, so please hear me on that. But it's also the way our society treats the poor. And so whether that's somebody who's homeless living under the Ballard Bridge or I-5, or a widowed woman in our community, or refugees who live in Tequila or in my neighborhood in Lake City, or those living in the economic margins of some other sort, we have a responsibility as people of God to seek them out and to, and to repair those relationships that are broken and the places in their lives that are broken, be a part of that healing. It's also the reconciliation of, of societies that are at war. When you see a, a war in Syria and you see a war in Africa, it needs to be more than just a tweet is what this is saying. God might be calling you in if your heart is moved. So it's the reconciliation of the societies. And importantly for tonight, it's, it's also environmental reconciliation. God is reconciling all things to himself. He cares about the world on which we live. Very much so. He's going to bring it to renewal, ultimately. I mean, not just back to where it started, remember that graph, but even something better, Revelation 21 and 22, remember this? A new heaven, a new earth, where there's no more sickness, No more war, no more hunger, no more poverty, no more drought, no more nuclear disasters in Fukushima, none of those things. And Revelation 22, full flourishing in every dimension. uh, Leaves on trees, get this, that when you eat them, provide healing. Like, where can I get that? Culmination. This is where God wants us to take. We want to go with God, but God is using us to take the world. Because, uh, see, reconciliation is this cosmic thing, and God isn't just doing it for us. (laughs) He's doing it through us. And in 2 Corinthians 5, this is what Paul says, that I've given you, God, the ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors for that work and that purpose. All things reconciled through our work, Christ in us and through us. In fact, uh, how many of you go to SPU? Or were part of SPU? Okay, Brenda Salter McNeil. Any of you have her as a professor? She's written this new book. Um, she teaches at Quest Church. She's, Dr. Brenda is amazing. And we're reading as a staff. It's called Roadmap to Reconciliation. I got to read this with my leadership team at Bethany Northeast earlier this year. And it is a book about uh, racial reconciliation. I'll give you that. But she has this really amazing, I'd say kind of ground-shattering definition for reconciliation in here. It's, I won't, I'm not gonna give you the whole book. It's page 22, so it's right at the beginning, okay? Great book. She says this, Reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores Broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. Let me read one more time. Recon- reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. And I love that definition for a couple reasons. Uh, it's related, uh, you know, reconciliation is for all of creation. She says it, right? And I I really do believe this. It's restoring those broken relationships for all creation to flourish. So it's relational, it's social, it's environmental, but take that a little further. It's this acknowledgement that reconciliation is deeply spiritual as well. We've made it kind of this social cause, but really it's the cause that God has invited us to, not even a cause. I just say a work that He initiated in Christ, okay? But even beyond that, here's here's the punchline. The fact that reconciliation is an ever and ongoing process Reconciliation is an ongoing process. Ongoing. It means that (laughs) we are never done, really. It's not something we just check off with a box. Like, we did that, on to the next thing. It continues. God's heart is to heal this broken world we live in. And God has invited us back into these uh, to be deeply involved in that world and and working in that world. And the work's not done yet, and that's okay. It's good. Uh, So we've been given this great work. By, and filled by the power of the Spirit, which I hope we can be tonight, God is promising that he will bring healing, hope, and flourishing to the world on which we live. Uh, so I guess at the end of the day, when we look at the places in the cosmos where we live, I live in Eric code 9125. some of you live much further away, not far from here, Lake City. And I, and, and I look at those places and I compare that place to the place that God would want us to go, Revelation 21, no more war, no more sickness, no more death no more poverty, healing of the nations. <laughs> and I, I need to be asking myself, and I hope you will do the same, one question. How, God? How can, I, how can that ever happen? Is that just pie in the sky by and by, or are you inviting me to be part of that? Uh, and the answer will be the same, I hope, for every one of us. And the answer is simple. Me. And you. And us, okay? Uh, Because God is inviting us into that work and involving us in that work. And so my daily choices, whatever I buy or don't buy, my attitudes, my questions, my mindsets, my relationships, all of those, the people I choose to stand with in their struggle for freedom, all of this God is using for the work of redemption, okay? Am I allowing God to use me? Tonight we're going to come to this table. I'm going to invite our worship team forward. And uh, as we come, I just want to pray for us before we come forward and before I set the table up. Um, because I know maybe there's a lot, I said a lot, (laughs) and it's a lot to process, and I want you to be really encouraged where you're at tonight in the place you're coming from, okay? And so let me just take a moment to pray for us, and then we'll transition into communion. So bow your heads with me and pray. God, I... Hear the cars going by, and I'm actually very and deeply encouraged for the city of Seattle that we get to live in. Uh, it's how beautiful it is, how spacious it is in many ways, um, the diversity that you've br- of p- nations you've brought here, uh, the flourishing that we already see, and yet <laughs> we know there's so much brokenness still. And part of that, God, we know that we have ignored, and part of that, God, we know we have caused. And part of that cause, God, we is often because we forget that we didn't create the world. So God, help us to remember tonight that creation is a great gift, that we're called to serve and to watch over together in community. And free us from habits that dishonor the land on which we live. And God, teach us to revel in this bounty, this beautiful place we live with gratitude, playfulness, and joy. And then God, grow us slowly, persistently, and deeply to be people who watch for you without distraction, who listen to what you're saying without interruption, and just stay put where you've put us to become agents of reconciliation without an inclination to flee. God, would this, this is our prayer tonight, would this be the hope of our lives as we pray through Christ? Amen.